Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hey, you've reached Haley. Please leave me a message. Thanks. Haley, hey, it's Luke. I just wanted to follow up with you because you no-showed at Trivia last week, and I tried to tell you that you were in first place for our multi-game competition, and now you're in, like, fifth place. And unfortunately, we're pausing Trivia Night for a while. So we're going to wait until it can come back to a live venue, and then we'll be online and live. But I don't know if that'll be in 2020 because COVID-19. And so I hate to tell you, but you are far, far, far from first place now. Good luck climbing back. See ya. From Mill U Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 2, Episode 36, The Icy Cold Winds of Change. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, September 8th, 1990. Hello friends and welcome back to 30 Pop. As I say often and mean every time, I'm so thankful to have you join me each week as we turn back the clock 30 years to reminisce on who we were and what the world looked like way back when. We are officially two-thirds of the way through 1990, which is, on the one hand, a huge bummer since it's a year I remember so fondly, but on the other hand, super exciting for a couple reasons. First, because 1991 is going to be perhaps even more fun to revisit. And second, because the last one-third of 1990 is jam-packed with some of the very best pop culture nostalgia. So let's not waste any time. This week in 1990, the top album on the Billboard charts remained MC Hammer's Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him. But there was a change in the air. On September 3rd, 1990, two weeks after the release of his debut radio single, which he'd written in 1983 as a 16-year-old kid, 22-year-old rapper, dancer, producer, and songwriter Robert Matthew Van Winkle released his first major label album, To The Extreme, under his stage name, of course, Vanilla Ice. The story of how this album came to be, the success it saw, the seismic shift in the music industry that it created, and the relatively rapid decline of Ice's career following that success is the stuff of movies. And frankly, I'm amazed Hollywood hasn't produced that biopic. Oh, but wait, what's that? One is in pre-production right now entitled To the Extreme, starring Dave Franco as Vanilla Ice? Well... What do you know? It's sure to be a wild ride as Ice's life has been full of twists and turns, from being a breakdancing professional motocross racer to a used car salesman to writing and producing the fastest-selling rap album of all time to becoming a drug-abusing jet ski racer a few years later and eventually hosting his own real estate-flipping reality TV show on the DIY network, The Vanilla Ice Project. But 
As his major label debut will, once it successfully dethrones Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him, remain at the top of the Billboard charts for months on end, we'll have plenty of time to dive deeper into his story later. For now, suffice it to say, the winds of change were blowing. Another place where that change could be felt was on the Hot 100 chart, where sweet sensations, if wishes came true, which never should have reached number one to begin with, in my opinion, was replaced, rightfully, by a song that should have been number one for quite a bit longer. The solo debut from John Bon Jovi, Blaze of Glory. This song and the eponymous album on which it was featured were written as the soundtrack for Young Guns 2, which had released in theaters a few weeks earlier. According to Wikipedia, Emilio Estevez, the film star, reached out to Bon Jovi to request permission to use his song Wanted Dead or Alive as the theme for the film. But instead, he offered to write a new song as the theme, which turned into a whole album. As the story goes, according to Kiefer Sutherland, who also starred in the film, Several cast members were eating hamburgers with Bon Jovi at a diner near the set, and he scribbled out the lyrics for Blaze of Glory on a napkin in about six minutes. Another fun fact I learned while researching this song, Bon Jovi was apparently in the first Young Guns film. Also, according to Kiefer Sutherland, when they were making the first film, a lot of Emilio's friends wanted to swing by and be a part of it, as westerns weren't really being produced at the time. So they'd put a beard on them and shoot them off a rooftop. Apparently, John Bon Jovi and Tom Cruise were among them, which makes me really want to go back and rewatch that movie. Another new chart topper this week in 1990 was Alabama, with their song Jukebox in My Mind, starting a four week run atop the hot country chart. In the corner of my mind stands a jukebox. It's playing all my favorite memories. This was Alabama's second single off their May 1990 album, Pass It On Down, and their second number one single of the year, although the first one was the title track from their January 1989 album, Southern Star. This was, incredibly, their fifth number one single in 1989 and 90 combined. I grew up with these guys' music, and although I probably didn't appreciate it at the time, as it sounded nothing like MC Hammer or Vanilla Ice, I do get pretty nostalgic about it now. Other number one songs this week were once again D-Nice with Call Me D-Nice at the top of the hot rap chart and Tony 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 Feels Good at the top of the hot R&B and hip-hop chart. In other pop culture news from this week in 1990, as is always the case around this time of year, we saw the series premieres of lots of new TV shows. Among them, in order, were the September 2nd premiere of Parker Lewis Can't Lose on Fox, the Disney Channel's Tailspin on September 7th, and a ton of other cartoons on Saturday morning, September 8th, including Bobby's World on Fox, The Wizard of Oz, New Kids on the Block, and Little Rosie about Roseanne Barr's childhood on ABC, 
And Kid and Play, yes, they had a cartoon. And the ridiculously titled The Adventures of Super Mario Brothers 3 on NBC. It is a legend no one will forget. Everyone thought King Koopa had left the Mushroom Kingdom. And then his doom ship attacked. King Koopa was back with the greatest danger ever known. His Koopa Kids. Using their new superpowers, the Super Mario Brothers rescued Princess Toadstool and beat back the evil Koopa family. I'll get those flutters! That's right. This is not to be confused with the previously canceled Super Mario Bros. Super Show. This was a new animated Super Mario Bros. series, actually entitled The Adventures of Super Mario Bros. 3. And that, my friends, is capitalism at its finest. While I remember all of those shows coming out, the only one I really remember liking was Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Ironically, I liked it because of how much it reminded me of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Unlike the crappy Ferris Bueller spinoff series, which had debuted on NBC a week earlier. But that's all right. NBC will make up for it next week by releasing one of, if not the most iconic show of the entire decade. One which was the theme of our most recent trivia night. But we'll get to that next week, as well as a whole slew of other TV series premieres. Lastly, the top film at the box office this week in 1990, as you're probably aware if you've been listening to the last several weeks worth of 30 Pop, for the fourth and final time, was Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, and Whoopi Goldberg's Ghost. And I finally had a chance to talk about it this week with my good friend Vinny in a segment we call Film Depreciation. Vinny, welcome back to 30 Pop. So good to have you on again. Hey, Luke. Glad to be here. So this very rarely happens these days that someone reaches out to me and says, hey, I really want to be on that episode. And that happened here. You yeah. are were a ghost fan, I guess, back in the day. Tell me about it. I was a ghost fan. I didn't get to see as many movies as you seem to have seen. I'll just say that. But the ones that I did see, I didn't see them in the theaters usually. I just get them. We had Blockbuster. I was basically had a big crush on Patrick Swayze. That's the main reason. Okay, that was going to be my question. Is, were you a ghost fan or were you a Patrick Swayze fan? Well, actually, I mean... Other Patrick Swayze movies aren't as good, I think. So I was just kind of Patrick Swayze fan. I'm a dancer and he's a dancer. And so that's how I had known him before. But. Nice. So was Dirty Dancing your your sort of intro, your on-ramp to Patrick Swayze? Yes, okay. it was. Although he's kind of a, you know, he's not a great guy in that movie. He's like an okay guy, but. I'm going to be honest. I've actually never seen Dirty Dancing. Okay. I also rewatched that recently. So. Nice. Okay, go yeah. ahead. About oh, You were saying about Ghost. Yeah, Ghost. I just felt like it was, I mean, they had amazing actors in it. Whoopi Goldberg, Demi Moore, Patrick Swayze. And it, I just thought it was a very captivating story. Like it had comedic moments. It had the serious stuff with the, you know, money laundering and mm -hmm. all that. And then the love story that felt believable to me. Although, yeah, it's a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved, I don't know, even just like the scenes where the ghost on the subway is teaching him how to like. Yes, how to touch move things touch in real things. life. Like, yeah. That's so cool. I love that stuff. I thought it was awesome. It's funny how often I think of that scene too, because pretty much any movie that has any sort of ghost, like I was watching one of the, so I, I 
observe Christmas sort of year round. So I was watching one of the Christmas Carol versions that's out there this week. And there were moments where the ghost could walk through walls and moments where he was like knocking on doors and stuff. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Like, and it, and it reminded me of this scene in ghost where Sam Patrick Swayze's character has to learn how to touch and move, interact yeah. with physical objects. And and so it's funny, I, but I think of it kind of anytime I see any movie with ghosts in them. So totally. So you said that you didn't really care for Swayze's other movies at this point. Is that right? Or you said they're not as good as Ghost? I mean, there he's just a little bit more of a like one-dimensional character in okay. them, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had actually heard that the director saw him in Roadhouse uh-huh. because they were thinking about him maybe for it. And then they were, I read that he was like over my dead body. Like there's no <sighs> way he's going to be in this movie. <laughs> he sucks. And then somehow like, he did. He came in and did a, a test, you know, of the screenplay, and um, he did so well that they were just blown away. And then I also learned that I saw Whoopi Goldberg talking on a show one time about how he had decided he wanted her in the role of Otome Brown, and he basically told them, I'm not doing this movie unless she's doing it. Really? If she wants to do it. And so she ended up winning an Oscar for it. But that's why that happened. And so I thought it was cool to see. Yeah. So I would have been right with the director. It had Roadhouse <laughs> been sort of my exposure, but we, we covered that on the show <laughs> like a year ago and I'd never seen it before that. Yeah. And I hated it. I mean, it was so, and I, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. My brother really loves bad. it, but <laughs> I do love him in the outsiders. I think he's fantastic in the outsiders, which was several years earlier. And then actually, I would say Sam Weed is my second favorite Patrick Swayze character, my favorite being in his next film that we'll cover, which is Point Break in 91, which I love oh, yeah. to this day. Yes. I also rewatched that recently. <laughs> nice. We may have to have you back on for that episode. So here's <laughs> what I remember most about Ghost back in the day. The scenes where the demons or whatever would come from the shadows and like drag people (laughs) to hell (laughs) for my little fundamentalist brain as a 10 year old were terrifying. I mean, they completely shaped the way that I understood the afterlife. Yes. terrifying. And I will say watching that I felt the exact same way rewatching it. The special effects didn't hold up. No. And it. It was laughable, and I actually was watching it with a friend who'd never seen it, and she was just like, what is that? Like, it's ridiculous. I was like, yes, this is ridiculous. And I'm kind of embarrassed I was so scared by it, but yes. Yeah, oh gosh, all the things that scared me as a kid are a little embarrassing now. But what I do think one of the compelling things about Ghost, though, is, you know, whether whatever you believe about the afterlife, I think there's just something in us that, like, wishes, hopes that loved ones would be able to, like, see us or connect with us or that mm-hmm. it would mean something or something would go on. So I think this movie kind of touches on some of that. Yeah, for sure. What's funny, you mentioned that the effects don't hold up today. I don't think they held up for very long. Like, I feel like I saw yeah. this movie a couple years <laughs> later and I was like, what is that? What? <laughs> but I agree. I mean, I think this is sort of the dream of what the afterlife could be for people. I mean, I get that like in religious circles, there's very specific ideas about what that should look like or can look like or does Mm -hmm. look like or whatever. 
Um, and yeah. what I kind of appreciate about this movie is it sort of removes that from the story. It's not really about a belief system or, you know, any, anything like that. It's just this very simple idea of, of heaven and hell. And mm-hmm. as ridiculous as their portrayal of um, hell or demons or whatever is, I still think that their portrayal of heaven and sort of that passing, you know, his passing into what eternity is going to look like from, I still think that's actually pretty beautiful. Not the effect necessarily, yeah. but just like right. the telling of that part of the story. I think they did a really, really great job with. Yeah, I do too. And just the, I don't know, there are some people in life that we have just some kind of connection that is just beyond earth, it feels like. And I think they captured that too. Oh, I thought you were going to say, and that's how you feel with, with Patrick Swayze. Well, yes, that too. Oh. Yeah, I also do. I mean, you're right that Whoopi is amazing in this. Demi Moore, this is the first thing I ever saw Demi Moore in. I didn't. I had never heard of her before, yeah. Ghost. Same. And I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to her since Ghost, but I do know she has a new podcast mm-hmm. out. But I think yeah. she is spectacular in this movie. I think her grief is so very believable in this entire movie. Yeah. And, and I actually think even Patrick Swayze's grief of the loss of his own life is really, really believable in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the extent that we can imagine that experience. I think he did it really, really well. Yeah, I think so too. I think the same about Demi Moore, and it made me want to cut my hair like that too. And did get you really do it? Buff arms and stuff. I didn't. Oh. I was too scared. And I also thought the guy who played Carl Bruner was really good. Yes, he was like kind of this guy that ended up getting, you know, down the wrong track. But you saw his like, oh god, that like gut wrenching tension of the just being sunk in a well he had to get out of. And- yeah. And when he sort of gets to a really unhealthy place mentally, I think he plays that really well. I mean, the guy looks sick. Yeah, he when does. He's just super, you know, in despair or he whatever. He comes to her apartment. Yes. Yeah. And it's scary. <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to happen. Oh God. And then he gets cut by that like broken window. Oh yes. Thing. That totally was, oh. forgot about that. That was also <laughs> super <laughs> scary as a kid. And I'm trying, I'm looking, <laughs> he's been in tons and tons of stuff, but like no major roles that I'm seeing. I mean, they're all pretty kind of small yeah. roles, but. It, which is weird because mm-hmm. he's such a familiar face. And I guess it's just from this one movie that I saw a thousand yeah. times as a kid. Well, to be honest, I also like, I can't think of anyone in it that didn't do an excellent job in their role. I just think everyone was well cast and yeah. did well. I also really wanted their apartment or house or whatever it was they were in. I remember loving, yes. you know, they're like renovating this space and that space being so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I saw that. It's like you can get it for oh yeah, ten million. Oh re- really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So <laughs> well, I'll have to look into that someday. Yeah, I also read. I wanted to tell you this because I knew you'd be interested if you didn't know this already. That it was a low budget movie. It was a sleeper hit, and then it became the highest grossing film of 1990. Home Alone was also released that year. And Home Alone ended up surpassing it, but not till the next year. Yeah, I am very excited for us to get to Home Alone, which we're going to get to cover for 12 straight weeks because it was the top film for literally 12 straight weeks. It was the big box office hit. And so I'm super excited about that. I know you are. Can I tell you something? (laughs) Please. 
I've never seen Home Alone. Oh my God. Okay. So maybe that's what we'll do. <laughs> At some point, one of those 12 episodes, we'll have you back on having seen, you only have to watch the first one because the second one is basically just a repeat of it in another city. And then everything after that okay. doesn't count. It just doesn't matter. They're not, okay. they're not in my mind, canon Home Alone stories. So Yeah. My other, I was going to say two more things about Ghost. Okay. Obviously, Unchanged Melody. Yes. That song, it just like broke it back through the charts. Oh my and it gosh. Was, it's so perfect. Still gets me too. I mean, it's such a great song. It's so good. I have it on record. And also that, you know, the pottery scene. Right. Yeah. The, you can't not talk about the pottery scene. With all the spoofs on it. <laughs> but, I mean, I definitely wanted to be Demi Moore. <laughs> well, <laughs> like I'm looking right now. I'm, I'm on IMDb right now. And it's one of the trivia pieces is that Swayze says it's the sexiest thing he's ever done in his life. Was that scene? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. We, <laughs> we should probably talk about that on fun parts, actually. But You should. Yes. And then the weirdest scene to me was, you know, when... Sam embodies yes, Whoopi Goldberg. And then like they switch obviously to his persona. So you're not super weirded out. But then towards the end, you're like, oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that like he's in her body. And... Which would totally be fine in 2020. In 1990, yeah. that was a very different experience to see a scene like that. Even today, though, like it's not that. Yeah, it's weird in a different way, I guess. But it's still like just imagining if this is the love of her life. Like she... The amount of like trust slash desperation to just like, yeah, sure, I'll just, I'll believe, or I believe that my husband's in this person's body and I'll just make out there. Yeah. Oh, so good. Okay. So, having, uh, how, how long had it been when you saw it most recently? How long had it been before that since you had seen it? Oh, man. Probably 20 years or something. Okay, perfect. So the title of this segment is Filmed Appreciation. So our goal is to figure out like how does the movie hold up? So for you, on a scale of 1 to 10 over the course of the last 30 years, how does Ghost hold up? Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it's probably an 8. Nice. I still really, really like it. And I think really the, the stuff we already talked about, some of the special effects of the demons and things that didn't hold up for me, but honestly, I still love it. I think it's a compelling, interesting story. I think the acting is amazing. Still. I actually really love the like old computers and the bank and mm -hmm. like some of the stuff where you can see how far we've come in technology. So that was like a different dimension that I actually enjoyed this time watching it. I still think it's relevant and fun. That's a respectable score. 30 years to still be an eight. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. So I, uh, good. I've got to rewatch it again soon. I do also love it. And in prepping for the last several episodes where we've talked about it, you know, I've watched lots of clips from the movie and every mm -hmm. one of them makes me nostalgic. Every one of them makes me think, God, that movie was so good. So I'm confident it will hold up for me as well. But awesome. thank you so much again for being on 30 pop. We look forward to having you back to talk home alone and then probably point break in the very near future. Yes. <laughs> I would love that. Thanks, you, will, Luke. you will be our Patrick Swayze like go-to person. So, oh, I would love that. Thank you so much, Vinny. We will talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good. Luke. Bye. Huge thanks to Vinny for being a part of this episode. It's always such a joy to get to share these little nostalgic moments with folks who remember them as fondly as I do. 
Huge thanks to you as well, again, for all the many ways you support this show. For listening, for following along on social media, playing trivia, rating, reviewing, signing up for the mailing list, everything. I'm truly grateful for it and excited for all the retro pop culture goodness from the past that we have ahead of us. I'll be back next week for a very special episode that you do not want to miss. Until then, in the immortal words of Robert Matthew Van Winkle, word to your mother. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1990 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>